This is Mark Ronson with his incredible new album, Late Night Feelings. Featuring the hit singles, Late Night Feelings and Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Mark Ronson, Late Night Feelings, out Friday. This week's episode of the podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FILMCAST30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. That's HelloFresh.com and use promo code FILMCAST30. That's F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T and the number 30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. What we're going to do today is we are going to discuss what we've been watching. We've got a little bit of film news discussion for you, and then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing the new Rupert Sanders movie, Ghost in the Shell, and we have uh, an awesome guest today from SlashFilm.com is going to join us for that. Uh, one of our new writers. Stay tuned to hear our conversation with her. And, and the gang's all back together, Dave. The gang's all back together. We, we, we've been like alternating musical chairs for the last three weeks. We did every combination of twosome. Yeah, yeah. It's been great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're all back together. Uh, Jeff, you had a good week off. I had an amazing time in Hawaii. Uh, Devendra, you had a great time in South by Southwest. Sometimes you just got to get away from the kids. And by the kids, I mean all of you listeners. So, <laughs> uh, so thanks for sticking with us uh, through the last few weeks, guys. And we're glad to be back. Now, last week, we announced a Blu-ray contest uh, about the new Martin Scorsese Blu-ray, Silence. Basically, I asked people to email into slashfilmcast at gmail.com with uh, Silence Blu-ray contest in the subject line. I said, tell us about your most religious movie-going experience. And we have a winner for that contest, Ed Thorpe from Stockton, California. We had uh, about 100 entries into that contest, and uh, a lot of people wrote in some very interesting uh, uh, descriptions of religious movie-going experience. So many were good entries that I basically just had to use random selection. I use a, a random number generator to just choose... Uh, the person we ended up uh, going with. But I wanted to thank everyone for entering the contest. We really appreciate it. And we should have more contests for you to come. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit from Ed Thorpe's email because uh, Jeff Kanata, I have a feeling you'll appreciate this one. Ed writes in, My most religious film experience was May to June of 1977 at the Coronet Theater in San Francisco, California. I had just gotten back from a deployment in the U.S. Navy, and it was my first week back in America, kicking back with my wife, who I had not seen in 10 months, no contact, no emails back then. We were really getting mellow and listening to Quezon Berkeley Radio when the announcer announced that this new sci-fi movie was coming out, and everyone should go see it. It was called Star Wars. Being a radical film fan, but having been cut off for 10 months, I knew nothing about this new film. I said, hey, let's go cross the bridge and check this out. The lines were around the block and up the street and around the next block. The air was thick with herbaceous vapors and you didn't need to indulge because you got a contact high just being there. 
As soon as the previous show let out, we were moved into the theater at light speed. The munchies having descended upon everyone in the concession stands was doing great business. Loaded up in more ways than one, we settled in for what would be a life-changing and life-altering experience. Most theaters at the time were wired for mono sound only, but we were lucky enough to be one of the few theaters that Lucas insisted be wired for stereo and semi-surround sound pre-THX. As soon as the opening crawl ended, everyone went, ooh, ah, when the Star Destroyers appeared for the first time. And the TIE Fighters zoomed past from the back of the theater. We all knew collectively this was going to be a big, big deal. My real awe-inspiring religious moment came when the Millennium Falcon escapes from Vader's ship and turns with such magic and artistry that I was blown the F away. The magic kept coming and coming, so by the end, everyone was on their feet, giving George Lucas a standing O. For the rest of the summer, I went back with anyone I could convince to go with me. Now I have a grown-up daughter who is a huge Star Wars fan, despite the fact that she saw Phantom Menace on its opening weekend. And don't mention midichlorians around my son-in-law, because that makes him crazy. And now this year, they just introduced my six-year-old grandson to Star Wars. Now everything's Darth Vader. Now that's a religious experience across three generations. Pretty great. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that email, Ed. Thanks for all the emails you, you wrote in, guys. Uh, it was awesome to read your religious movie-going experience. Ed's going to be getting a silenced Blu-ray, and uh, there will be more Blu-rays in the future for us to give away. You know, um, not to reveal my origin story here, <laughs> but I, I think I may have just realized um, the the seed of the place where my uh, unsullied uh, uh, instincts came from. And because what is that? <clears throat> my mom often spoke of uh, the craziest movie going experience she had, which was going on a whim to what she thought was a war movie. Uh, she was on a date. She uh, uh, was going to just go because the date wanted to go and thought she was going to go see this war movie and was like, okay, well, whatever. And it turned out that the movie was MASH and she thought it was the funniest thing she had ever seen because she didn't expect it to be a comedy. She just thought she was going to see some some dumb war movie. And uh, I remember her speaking so in awe of that experience of like, I had no idea what I was in for and it completely blew me away. So maybe that, uh, that little story I heard as a kid from my mom is, is really where all this came from. Mm, the sins of the mother passed on to the son. Mm, indeed. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, thanks Ed. Thanks, uh, for all the people that wrote in, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. We have so much to talk about this episode, so we might blow past this, is what we've been watching rather quickly. Uh, I, I want to mention a few things. Colossal, uh, the new Nacho Vigalondo film. Have you guys mm. heard of this movie? This is yes. st- starring Anne Hathaway. You're Anne Hathaway, okay? You've won an Oscar for your performance in Les Mis. You've appeared in one of the biggest comic book movies of all time, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, and y- y- you have the world at your feet. But Anne Hathaway chose to make this re- rather tiny, uh, you know, seemingly indie film with Nacho Vigalondo, one of my favorite film directors. And it's great. And I'm not going to tell you anything about the movie um, uh, because I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but I, I think Anne Hathaway is great. And it's about this girl that returns back to her hometown and <laughs> learns some valuable lessons. And that's all I'm going to say about the movie. Uh, but Anne Hathaway is great. It also stars Jason Sudeikis putting in a performance uh, that is unlike what I usually expect from him. And uh, there's a lot of whimsy. There's a lot of creativity in this movie. I was just guessing as to what was going to happen all the way to the end. Uh, and I really liked it. Colossal. It's going to be out in theaters this Friday. And you should, you should check it out. Jeff Kanata, I think you were saying you wanted to check this one out, right? 
Very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one to check out. It's colossal. It'll be out in theaters soon. It's playing at a bunch of festivals already. I saw this movie called Raw. You guys heard of this movie Raw? Yes. Uh, Raw is a horror film. And I'm going to sort of uh, give you some stats on it right now. It's directed by Julia uh, Ducournau. And uh, I'll, uh, can I read the plot summary or Jeff? Go are you sure? Are you I'm not going to see this. Oh, you're not Go going ahead. to see this. Okay. No. Uh, stringent vegetarian Justine, played by Garance uh, Marillier, encounters a decadent, merciless, and dangerously seductive world during her first week at veterinary school. Uh, as so, one does. As as one does. I mean, this. I think this is a French movie. Uh, uh. It's a French Belgian horror film. And it takes place at a veterinary school, which is which is great because there's a lot of atmosphere. You know, there's an, like massive animals like all around you, like animal corpses, and everyone's practicing on animals. And so there's a lot of good production design with just these animals everywhere, and they're very creepy and stuff. Uh, but really, this movie is one of the most disgusting movies I've seen in quite some time. I mean, <laughs> there's imagery like I was describing it in the Slack film cast as. Uh, a movie that um, I had to take off my glasses <laughs> at several points. Do you ever do that? Just pop that? out like your <laughs> monocles popped out. No, yeah, because I, I don't want to oh, cover. Hi. I don't want to cover my eyes because I want to see what's going on. But I also don't want to see what's going on. You know what <laughs> so I mean? So blurry is the way to go. So blurry, blurry. is the way. To, there's some moments where you, there's so much tension and anticipation in this movie that I, I knew what they were going to show me, and I really didn't want to see it, guys. Um, <laughs> I had to go blurry this. on this one. Had like to go that. blurry. That's the that'll be the box quote. So yeah. crazy, I had to go blurry on this one. That's right. Not Blu-ray. Right. Not Blu-ray. Blurry. <laughs> the exact opposite. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so I think. Uh, the, the filmmaking in this movie is exceptional. Like, just there's some sequences I was just in awe of how well they were executed. Uh, the only weakness in this movie, other than how disgusting it is, if you guys aren't into that kind of thing, is I wish the storyline had been a little bit more fleshed out. No pun intended. I think. Uh, <laughs> also, th- why why was it always out of focus? <laughs> I think uh, the, the just the the main character, the protagonist in this movie, do some pretty crazy shit, guys. And I wish the story had explored a little bit more of the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel the movie did a very good job at that. So that made the movie into merely a very, very good movie instead of what I would consider a great film. I'd give this movie a 7.5 or an 8 out of 10. Still would recommend it. And if you, would, if you want to be disturbed, if you want to see a really well-executed horror film, then Raw is a movie <laughs> you should go check out. I saw it in limited release uh, at the Egyptian Theater in Seattle. Dave, tell me something. Would you watch this movie while eating a meal? Uh, they actually, no joke, uh, uh-huh. in the lobby, they distribute barf bags for this. Yes. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say like chicken wings. No. <laughs> no. So they're, uh, they're playing this at the Alamo Draft House. So that's probably where I'm going to end up seeing it. And I will probably end up getting some munchies. And yeah. I, uh, I'm wondering how much of a bad idea that is. It's a pretty bad idea. It's a pretty bad Lost. idea. You will not am, look at you will not look at meat the same way again <laughs> after you watch this movie. There's no way I'm seeing this movie. It's pretty trouble i mean i did a periscope uh on you know with a friend of mine that i saw this with uh at periscope.tv slash dave chensky and uh it was you can see on the video we are both just shell-shocked after (laughs) watching we have no idea how to talk about what we just saw it's it's really out there it will show you things that you're not used to seeing on screen so not a date movie 
Uh, it depends on what kind of... Uh, yeah, well, what you want at the end of the night. <laughs> what kind of partner you have. I'm glad I did not take my significant other to this one. So, And finally, uh, I oh wanted to mention a couple other quick things because we were blown through this as quickly as possible. But Legion, watch the season finale of Legion, got through that whole... I, I've been like trying to binge shows, guys, because mm-hmm. I have this kind of pocket of time right now in yeah. my life where I have some decent amount of time that I can get through like a bunch of shows. And I'm trying to use it as much as possible. Um, so watch the whole season of Legion, binge like seven episodes mm-hmm. of Legion in one day. Isn't that, isn't that such a commentary on where we are with entertainment these days? Yeah. <laughs> I have this time, so I better cram in as much shit as I can. To be fair, I think Legion is a show that really benefits from binging. I, I think it was very difficult for me to go week to week on that show. And then uh, I'll just say this about Legion. I think it is a work of staggering genius. Uh, visually, it's incredible, and this is one of those shows that is amazing to me because at the end of each episode, I am reconsidering what this show is. I, I don't. Okay. It's keeping me guessing about what the show is at the end right. of each episode. Like from episode to episode, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm like halfway through. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know if I want to keep watching this. But I probably will, because just because people say it gets even more interesting later on, but we'll see. Episodes my, my- 5, 6, and 7. There's an arc in that those episodes mm-hmm. that's pretty incredible, in my opinion. Okay, okay. Um, my but- favorite tweet uh, about the Legion, I don't remember who it was, sadly. I, I wish I could credit the right person, but it, it said... Uh, can someone tell me if Legion is a good show? I've watched every episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's pretty much that. So what I didn't finish saying with my statement is, oh, this is a work of staggering genius. It's really brilliant visually, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure if it's my jam, though. I'm not <laughs> sure if it's the kind of show for me because I found it so frustrating in the first three episodes like you, Devendra. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people said, hey, keep watching to the end. I'm like, okay, in Noah Hawley, I trust. Got to the end, really yeah. liked the journey. But I'm not sure if I'm going to keep watching. But it's just... like, what now, right? But those people who are like, oh, keep watching, keep watching, it gets better. If you're at the end and you're not satisfied, what say you? Oh, no, no, I'm satisfied. Yeah. I'm satisfied. No. <laughs> I just don't know. I'm satisfied that I, I was told a pretty interesting story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't know if it's the kind of show that I actually enjoy. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Like, it's not like every week I'm like, oh, wow, this. I'm looking forward to the new Legion episode. It's just like... It was kind of a slog. I was watching it because I was trusting that people who said it was worth going to the end, like that they knew what yeah. they were talking about. So I don't know if that's good storytelling. But yeah, uh, I, yeah, I think you're right about that. I, yeah. That's why I'm saying like I'm not sure if I'm going to watch season two, but I mm-hmm. don't regret finishing season one. Speaking of uh, regretting finishing season one, The Leftovers. No, I'm just are joking. You, are you, I'm just oh. joking. I got to the end of Leftovers. Like, <laughs> I took your advice. You guys are saying go watch Leftovers because season yes. two is incredible. Yes. So I watched the entire season one of Leftovers in the last three days. And, That's uh, the best way to watch that show, too, by the way. Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely binge yeah. that show. Uh, this is one of the best-looking shows I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, even better-looking than Breaking Bad in terms of the cinematography. It just, it's such a gorgeous show. Um, season one, kind of a slog just because a lot of pain, misery, suffering in that season. I've, I'm told season two gets better. I'm really excited to dive in. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of pain two, and suffering in season two yeah, as well. There, there's that. But it's a complete about face in terms of how they tell the story. Uh, but uh, the second half of season one, this is a lot like Legion, right? It's a little slog at the beginning. And then I think the first episode with one of the preacher character is where it was like it clicked for me. That the yeah. show was something really interesting and weird. Yeah. Uh, so I've got through leftover season one, looking forward to mm-hmm. season two, and season nice. three, just around the corner. So, Indeed. see, Devendra, I do take your advice sometimes. 
It's okay, Dave. I won't believe you until you see Firefly. I'm so. aware of that. I'm aware of that. Yeah. All right, Devendra, what have you been watching? Uh, I am also catching up on TV. Uh, I caught up on Homeland season six, and I talked a little bit about this at the beginning. I kind of gave up on the season maybe three episodes in. It just felt like a bit of a slog as well. Like they were kind of just meandering, going all over the place. Uh, They had moved the setting to Brooklyn, and things just didn't seem as interesting as before. Then something happens, right, Uh, as tends to happen in a Homeland season or 24 season even, where shit hits the fan and things get really crazy in episode four. And that really wrote me back in because it is pretty cool what they're doing. In a weird way, the season feels almost like an apology for some of the last seasons, too, because it, it is it's a lot about um, talking about the Muslim American experience, how we are, you know, law enforcement uh, is kind of vilifying them. It's showing many different shades of gray. Uh, it's about a lot of our main characters trying to atone for what they've done during, you know, the post 9-11 era. So it's really fascinating. Um, dig the new setting and everything. So, yeah, worth watching if you gave up on this season or any of the last few seasons. That's Homeland Season 6. Mm-hmm. It's on Showtime. Jeff, what were you going to say? If it wasn't for you, Devendra, I would have no idea the show was still on. <laughs> it felt like it's, when Homeland started, everyone was talking about yeah, it. And yeah, now yeah. it's like, oh, season it's six now? What's it's we- it? Well, it's weird because there was that initial, right? You know what the initial drama of Homeland was. Like, is this yeah. dude a terrorist? And like, that was the main idea. And let's just say we've moved far beyond that. And <laughs> what the show became in the last few seasons is a like, it's a different setting every time. Like one uh, season four, I think, was in Pakistan. Season five was in Berlin. It's just like it's sort of like the you know globe hopping spy thriller stuff that I really enjoy. But they get a lot more interesting once you move away from that really simplistic you know is this guy a terrorist or not drama. Right. Well, I think what Jeff is also referring to is the fact that Showtime likes to drive its series into the ground. You know, yes. like it will continue airing its shows long after any interest in them uh, on a, a mainstream level has died out. That's probably true. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's a bummer. It sounds like you know, the show is still doing some cool things. I mean, yeah, there are some seasons that were pretty rough in there, Devendra. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think season four, actually, was the one that was pretty rough. Uh, and then five, the one with Miranda Otto, season five. Like yes. that, she was a great character in yes. that show. Uh, so, yeah, yeah it's, it has a substance. It's, it's a show I that think, I enjoy. I enjoy show, some of the seasons. Yeah, it's a show that I enjoy, but it's not a show that I feel like I need to watch, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's um, more like if you want that thrill of, like, there are, there are terrorists in the U.S. now, um, and the president's life is in danger, and only one person can stop them, and how are we going to do this in a semi-realistic setting? Uh, I, th- I think that's really fascinating, and that's kind of where we're headed this season. Well, in that situation now, I'd be like, do we have to stop them? <laughs> well, what's interesting, too, is that the president in this season is sort of a weird Trump amalgamation. Like, she is uh, not the first. I don't know if she's the first female president in that universe, but she is, you know, a woman president. But she's also not a very popular one and someone who's taking very, you know, far off stances. So anyway, just worth watching this. Season. That's Homeland That's Season 6. By the way, another random season I finished. I didn't put this in the show notes, but Basket Season 2. Awesome. Uh-huh. Awesome show. Uh, it's been renewed for season three. Catch up. It's brilliant. That's it. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? Speaking of brilliant, uh, did you guys watch Big Little Lies? Yep. Oh, yeah. I thought that season finale was excellent. I thought the entire season was excellent. Talk about one of the most beautiful shows on TV. Talk about maybe the best edited show I have ever seen. Uh, Just flourishes of brilliance with the editing. Um, it, it's beautifully shot. 
impeccably acted. Uh, it, it had me so impressed with Nicole Kidman and the entire cast. Um, Reese Witherspoon gives a tour de force. It is, uh, it, it is an amazing accomplishment. I know it's based on a book, um, and so I know a lot of people knew where it was headed. I did not, and it kept me guessing all the way to the end. The last episode, it is such a wonderful lead-up building out all of these motivations, all of uh, – motives really, not just motivations, but motives for a murder. We don't know who's going to die. We don't know who's going to kill him. We can't, I, I, we, my wife and I were constantly guessing throughout every episode of what it was going to be and it didn't overstay its welcome, right? It, 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 it breadcrumbed out that information and I don't think it did it too long. It didn't – it wasn't like uh, Twin Peaks or something or Lost. Right, or right. Okay, fine. Just tell us now. It was the right <laughs> amount of episodes, seven episodes, and in the seventh episode, we arrive at this moment that we've been teased about through the entire show, and it's almost like this amazing game of Clue, where now we're <laughs> like, okay, who's it going to be with what and where? You know, like how is it going to happen? And and it really paid off in a. It, it managed to uh, marry what you would expect and hope to happen with something completely unexpected and cool. And, and I just was so impressed by that series. I thought it was mm-hmm. great and it was the perfect length. We got a lot of really cool insight into these characters and what it must be like to live in this bizarrely wealthy uh, environment in, Mon- in Monterey, California. I just – I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Devinger Hardwar, how about you? Yeah, right, you right there, yeah. Jeff. Um, uh, I, it's a great wrap-up to the season. I think it answered the questions we were all burning you know, uh, to, to know more about. And it still left some up in the air for a second season and a follow-up. Um, but what's interesting about the show is that, you know, my wife said this a couple of times. Uh, if you talk about just the plot, like if you just describe what this show is and what it's about – it sounds like the most boring uppity shit ever, right? Do I need to see another, you know, movie about rich people uh, or, or another show about rich people in their magnificent houses and basically just be real estate porn? But this show really transcends kind of that it, that setting and it tells us a lot about these characters and kind of what the lives of these women are. It's fantastic. So, yeah, if you started and maybe gave up early on because uh, some of the stuff was really rough early on. Yeah, it gets. I think around episode three, it, there's a turning point where it gets to be fascinating and really great. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show as well. I've recorded a whole other podcast episode about it at genpopshow.com. You can listen to it there. I, I'll just say that Nicole Kidman, MVP. Uh, I've always thought she's brilliant, and this show mm-hmm. simply re- – she is so ridiculously good in this show. Insane. Like she's, yeah. she needs an Emmy for yes, this performance. at least – yeah, all the Emmys go to Nicole Kidman. Jeff Canal, what else have you been watching? Well, you mentioned the word "staggeringly brilliant" and a work of genius uh, <laughs> in talking about Legion. I would apply those monikers to Rick and Morty, and uh, and just as more evidence of their brilliance and genius. Uh, the season three premiere, which we've all been waiting for with bated breath and in, in, in hopes that it would happen, was legitimately dropped on. April Fool's Day on the Cartoon Network website. Just a fun, subversive way to do that because the you best would read. Troll. Yeah. yeah, it's a great troll. Exactly. Well put. Yeah. Uh, you would read that, of course, on Twitter or something and assume people are messing with you. Especially because um, the whole season's not airing for a while. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Right. 
Uh, season two ended with uh, in such a dark place. Season three starts there and is I, – I think I prefer BoJack Horseman slightly to Rick and Morty personally just because it's more personal kind yeah. of world that I enjoy. But Rick and Morty is so – dauntingly brilliant it is so there <laughs> there are more throwaway ideas in rick and morty that are just cast aside for a momentary gag than in most shows that most shows have total like right. they piss away brilliant you could write an entire film script around a tiny throwaway joke right in rick and morty because the idea is so brilliant and the pace at which it throws those ideas at you it does not care if you're keeping up or not it's going to continue just barreling through its insanely well articulated imagination of sci-fi themes and concepts and it does it with a such a level of of um, it, it, there, there's a speed to it and a and a high level of assuming you understand what's going on, and it doesn't mm-hmm. worry about whether or not you're keeping up. It's just going. Um, and in this season three premiere is is just like that. It is brilliant and heart wrenching, and you learn more about these characters. Like there's actual incredible character moments in the in the midst of these insanely brilliant ideas. It, I, I it's. It seems impossible that the show can exist. It's that good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dimindra, I assume you agree you've seen the premiere pretty, as well, Pretty right? much there, yeah. There are some concepts that are thrown around in this that are just kind of mind-boggling, like how they thought about it and like the world-building, that they set all this stuff up in season one and season two, but could they kind of pay off some ideas here in the best ways, right? If you think of a plot hole that existed because of something that happened in a previous season, they'll at some point go back and refer to it and do something really awesome with it. So that's why I kind of love this show. It is made for nitpicky movie watchers, basically. Like the people who just like pick shit apart. Uh, yeah, the premiere was a ton of fun. Love the way they rolled it out. Um, nice uh, nice having Nathan Fillion in the show because he's been in so many cartoons as well. Um, and yeah, the only sad thing is that I think we'll have to wait till summer to see the rest of the season. Summer's right around the corner, though. I hope it's it's, it's coming. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, I, I think this like silly cartoon gag show has some of the best science fiction concepts and best science fiction writing ever. It is it is that good. the The consistency of the pure imaginative world building is off the charts. That's Rick and Morty Season 3 premiere. Catch up. Rick and Morty Season 1 and 2 available on Blu-ray and DVD right now, guys. Uh, I'd highly recommend them. I really enjoy that show. All right. Jeff Kanata, anything else? And finally, I know we don't have a lot of time, but i got to talk about WrestleMania, the, uh, the ultimate thrill ride, the showcase of the Immortals. Um, I don't think many people maybe know that I'm a, a wrestling fan, but I am. Um, since, you know, since I was a kid... I really ever missed a, a WrestleMania, and uh, WrestleMania is the Super Bowl of professional wrestling. Uh, and this, this, it was yesterday. It was a five-hour show plus plus two hours of pre-show. Uh, it is a, a massive event, um, and I thought it was a really excellent WrestleMania. It had some genuine, like kind of emotional moments. Uh, John Cena proposed to his wife in the middle of it, and who knows if that was. You know, a work or a or a shoot, but it it uh, it was. A, I thought it was a really sweet moment, and 
the Undertaker retired. The last match of the of the card was um, Roman Reigns versus the Undertaker. It was by far the weakest match. It was a really kind of a sad way to end the show because Roman Reigns just cannot carry those matches, in my opinion. And the way it was booked didn't seem to really work very very well. But here's the Undertaker who's been around for you know twenty plus years, twenty five years, and uh, he you know he literally like you know used the last five minutes of the of the, the show to you know, put his hat in the center of the ring and walk out and, and, and ostensibly retire. Uh, but there were some amazing moments. The Hardy Boys came back. There was a, a ladder match that was insane. Shane O'Mac and AJ Styles blew the roof off the place in the curtain jerker match, the first match of the night. I mean, it was, it, it was uh, a solid, solid show, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. Most of that sounded like gibberish to me, Jeff. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Undertaker. Yeah. I used to watch WrestleMania well, when I was good. Goldberg was back. You probably right. heard of heard of him. He was back. You know, it's it's uh, there's always like the old folks uh matches. Goldberg Lesnar was a kind of an underwhelming match, but um you know, there's so many matches in, in WrestleMania that usually there's at least a few that are pretty good and, and I think this one was better than average. All right. Uh, well, that's what we've been watching this week. Let's move on to film news, guys. Uh, there's only one big story of the week, and that is that Joss Whedon is currently in negotiations with Warner Brothers to write, direct, and produce a Batgirl movie that will be part of their DC Extended Universe. Kind of a big deal for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huge First deal. of all, Joss Whedon, legendary uh, writer, director, producer, the guy who gave us Buffy, the guy who gave us the Avengers, the architect of part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Well, the um, most, what, phase one and phase two was him. I yeah. Guess. I mean, and to be fair, he didn't architect the entire thing. I mean, he, yeah. he brought the Avengers together. Uh, but he had such a horrible time making Avengers Age of Ultron that apparently he is now willing to step across the aisle into the willing <laughs> arms of a competitor. Yeah. And try and build up a competing cinematic universe. What is he thinking, I, by the way? Like, I, I had a horrible time making this giant action movie uh, for a comic book thing. I'm going to go do it again. I can only else. assume that he has secured commitments or, <laughs> you know, like, clauses in his contract that are like, if you try to fuck with me on this one, <laughs> I am out with, like, $10 million payout or something. Right. Like that, you know? I, I'm hoping that this is not him helping to construct a dc cinematic universe that's already happening yeah i what i was going so well too you know it's not (laughs) but i I, part of that action i really really would like i think dc the way i know this is not going to happen and it's not what dc wants but uh with uh, you know ben affleck reportedly not really being too hip on playing batman anymore and and all this kind of chaos that's happening maybe wonder woman will come out and it'll save all this stuff and it'll be great i uh, that would be nice but I think if Warner Brothers was smart, they would just do these one-off movies with great creators and not worry about tying them together into a cohesive universe. Just make a great Wonder Woman movie. Make a great Batgirl movie. Hire a great person to write a great script. Don't worry about architecting a universe. Just let Marvel do that. It's fine. They figured out how to do it in a pretty interesting way. Do your own thing. Make a Batman movie that's a Chris Nolan Batman movie and then make a Superman movie that's a different place and a different time. And if you want to have Batman show up in that movie, fine. But it doesn't have to be the same Batman. Like we're a sophisticated enough audience. Let Joss make a Batgirl movie. Don't have to tie it into Ben Affleck or any of that world. Just let this guy who's really good at writing strong female characters do that. Make the great movie. 
and let us all go enjoy it and not have to worry about leaving threads open for other stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish that they would heed your advice, Jeff. I mean, I think <laughs> one studio that actually has done that is Fox with uh, Logan, right? And, yeah. uh, and Legion as well, right? Like those are shows that, you know, there's no... Uh, I and mean, Deadpool, yeah. Uh, and Deadpool, right. I mean, yeah. those are properties and, and titles that they just haven't really felt like it's super important to tie into other things. And as a result, in my opinion, they've been some of the most original and mm-hmm. interesting superhero films and TV shows that we've had yeah. in the last couple of years. But Continuity well, is that, hard. Yeah. Yeah. But wasn't that kind of a response to... You know, some things not going really well for Fox too, right? The X Men Origins Wolverine sure, and many other franchises. Like it's it's that was that did feel like a response to like okay, so you know Marvel and Disney they have this giant franchise. WB has all these characters we don't have. What can we do differently? Well, we have the really filthy ones, and we'll let them be <laughs> filthy. And I think that was a great formula. And you know, doing something cool with the X Men and Deadpool and everything like that worked really well for them. Uh, I I'm just worried. I guess a little like Joss Whedon doing a Batgirl movie sounds great. Like I, I'm all up for that. I am a huge Whedon fanboy. It does feel like at this point when we're talking about things like um, you know more gender representation in filmmaking, like a, a Batgirl movie, it'd be great if he had treat. I I wonder if he would treat this more like um, Cabin in the Woods, right? Where maybe he'd write an initial script and maybe work on it with someone else and maybe get like you know uh, an actual woman director uh, and co-writer to help him out with it too. Like I think that would be my best scenario of all of this because also a part of me does not want Joss Whedon getting wrapped up in the shit again. I want him to like be free and do his own thing maybe make another weird shakespeare adaptation in his house um i kind of yeah as a fan i want him to like be free to pursue other different things speaking of uh, female directors the only other director i think that we know to cross the aisle as it were uh and jump ship from marvel to dc is patty jenkins who mm-hmm. was originally set to direct thor 2 uh before she was apparently kicked off the project or left the project due to creative differences and now she's directing the wonder woman movie so yeah. she saw the script for thor 2 and was like nope <laughs> yes uh so anyway uh i agree with you guys it would be interesting jeff jeff Kanata, let me ask you this question um it's stated that the character in this uh batgirl would be barbara gordon right. and the new 52 version of the character as a mm-hmm. starting point would be used Great. uh do Perfect. you know yeah what's your opinion on that I think that's great. I think that's, I mean, that's the Batgirl we want. That's the Batgirl people know best, I think. And uh, I think that is the, that's the fun one. I think that's the fun – I mean, it, this is the guy who created Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? So if you mm-hmm. imagine a youngish, uh, the daughter of the police commissioner who has a secret life that she needs to hide from him and goes off and starts solving crimes, it doesn't have to have anything to do with Batman. This could be a completely standalone concept of Batgirl. I hope that's the way it goes. It'd be, you know, I think that'd be super cool. Uh, well, you know, the mm. New 52 uh, was a comic book about, uh, you know, was this, the idea was uh, every 52 weeks of the year, uh, there's going to be a new, new issue. And it's hard to do anything every week of the year. In fact, it's hard to even feed yourself every week of the year. Don't you think, Dave? I think you're right about that. I mean, feeding yourself is one of the most basic things that you can do. I mean, you literally need to do it to survive. But doing it well, doing it in a way that's affordable uh, is, is a challenge. If only there was a service that could help with this, and there is. Shocking. Are you talking twist. about? 
Are you talking about uh, just f- getting fast food and crap and garbage and throwing that down my gullet so that I can survive, Dave? Is that what you're talking about? Firstly, that sounds disgusting and you should be ashamed of yourself. But secondly, mm-hmm. no, that's not what I'm talking about at all, Jeff Kanata. I'm what? talking about HelloFresh. Oh. HelloFresh.com is the leading meal delivery kit service. And what they do is uh, for a low price, they send you a box full of the stuff that you need to make the food and also the recipes. Uh, but to- Dave, I don't have a ton of time to cook on my own. Uh, well, fortunately, uh, most of the step-by-step instructions uh, are designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks who are short on time, Jeff. Wow. Uh, HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. You know, Jeff, you probably go to the store and you buy like 16 onions. Oh, I hate really, doing that. When really you need like a quarter of an onion. You know what right. I mean? Uh, but yeah, HelloFresh gives you the exact amount of food that you need. Uh, and they have two full-time registered dietitians on staff who review each recipe to ensure that they are nutritionally balanced. When you work it all out, it ends up being like less than $10 a meal. Uh, and they have a bunch of options now for you. They have a classic box. They have a veggie box and a family box now. Customers can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people with new recipes created each week. But so, certainly we can help people out and even reduce that price even more. Can't we, Dave? Oh, we can, Jeffrey. We can. Uh, for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code filmcast thirty. That's $30 off your first week of HelloFresh by visiting HelloFresh.com and entering promo code FILMCAST30, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, and the numeral 30. Can I say on a personal level, on a non-jokey way, this is one of the coolest things that the internet has wrought. I, I am I, Delivering f- d- uh, ingredients to my house so that I can cook them myself has completely changed my life. You guys really should try HelloFresh because it will, A, help you learn how to be a cook, which is a a life skill that is super useful and awesome. And B, you will eat better. You will be healthier. You will feel better about yourself. You will know exactly what's going in your food. It is a complete life change and an awesome thing. Uh, Jeff, you were saying this has completely changed your life. What, What are adjectives you use to describe your life? Before HelloFresh, and what are adjectives you'd use to describe it afterwards? <laughs> uh, I would say uh, poopy before, yep. poopy, and now uh, fresh. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what's going to happen when you use HelloFresh.com. Promo code FILMCAST30 for $30 off your first week of deliveries. All right. We also got to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. Um, and uh, people, they've been trying to slip in. These funny names, right? They've been trying to slip in. Like last week, someone oh, someone slipped in the name Ahmed Aduti into the. Uh, uh, into I the can't names. believe I missed it. I <laughs> yeah, you missed, missed the, it. you missed Ahmed Aduti. Uh, but uh, <laughs> people have tried to slip some some subtle ones into this week's one. So see if you can figure it out. Okay. <laughs> so firstly, we got new subscribers at the rate of two dollars per month. Uh, Rebecca LeBlanc, who's been with us for quite a while, Jason Eberl. Kevin Hansen and Ken Riley. Thanks so much for your contributions at the rate of two dollars per month. Um, in terms of our donors, we've got Travis Colburn, Wong Man Lam from Hong Kong, Bobby A. Jackson from Mississippi, Ken Riley, Adam from Riverside, California, and I'm a stupid moron with an ugly face and a big butt, and my butt smells, and I like to kiss my own butt from Oslo, Norway. Man, those Norwegian names. <laughs> they are. They're long. They're really out they're there. They're long. Yeah, they're lengthy. I mean, it's kind of a mouthful. 
Um, but a lot of uh, is like, that hyphenated? A lot of consonants in there, just all together. <laughs> It's uh, what happened was I'm a stupid moron with an ugly face, married, and a big butt, and my butt smells. And they, you know, they hyphenated it. And, you know, then they got divorced, and then married, and I like to kiss my own butt as well. I think <laughs> right, which is one of the odds, really. And also, it's uh, it's exactly the same name as one of the people who calls Moe's Sizlak's bar in The Simpsons. That's, <laughs> That's also right. quite a coincidence. Anyway, uh, this brings me so much joy, listeners. I cannot tell you. <laughs> I feel like it's all downhill from here. (laughs) I feel like we've peaked this. (laughs) If you want to support us and help us defray the cost of seeing movies, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab, use the PayPal links. Uh, Also, guys, I've set up a – I set this up this week, actually. I've set up a PayPal uh, address. We have a permanent PayPal address now. You go to uh, PayPal.me slash the word filmcast. That's paypal.me slash and then the word filmcast. And you can donate to the slash filmcast. Now, if you go there, it says David Chen is the person who. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but pay I see no how mind it is. to that. Pay yeah. no mind to that. Pay, <laughs> pay no mind to the fact that you're sending the money to David Chen, guys. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> guys, guys, you're never going to believe this. I finally set up a funnel. That funnels all the things directly into my 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 pocket. It's amazing. To be fair, uh, to be fair the best pay no I've attention heard. to the checkbox that says you're signing a blood oath never to tell <laughs> Jeff and Devendra about this donation. PayPal.me slash filmcast. That's where you can donate to the slash filmcast. Thanks to HelloFresh and their promo code filmcast30 for $30 off their first week of deliveries. Guys, let's get to our review of Ghost in the Shell. This is major. I'm on site. You are the first of your kind, but you're not invulnerable. Maybe next time you can design me better. Everyone around me, they feel connected to something. Connected to something I'm not. What are you? That was from the trailer of Ghost in the Shell, the new film by Rupert Sanders starring Scarlett Johansson. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. In the near future, Major is the first of her kind, a human saved from a terrible crash who is cyber-enhanced to be a perfect soldier devoted to stopping the world's most dangerous criminals. You're listening to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com, and there have been uh, a bunch of new voices on the site recently. Uh, One of them is our guest today, uh, Hai Chan Bui, news writer for SlashFilm.com, or HT for short. Uh, HT, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Thank you so much for having me on. It is great to have you on. Uh, And so you've been writing for SlashFilm.com now for a few weeks, right? Yes, two weeks now. And and how has how has that been? It's been good. It's been um, I'm really happy to be writing about movies again. I used to be writing for USA Today, but then I kind of but then you're like uh, I, I want to upgrade to a much yeah, more widely read publication. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, USA Today exactly. is, a, is is often a stepping stone to slash film. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> yeah, it's like a transition no, job I... to slashfilm.com. So yeah, uh, well, w- welcome aboard. It's great to have you, you, and also great to have you on the podcast. Um, yeah, so, Ghost in the Shell. Um, now, obviously, this is a movie that's been embroiled in a lot of controversy online. 
Um, so heading in, what were your kind of, what were your expectations and uh, and were they met or not? So I will say that it did meet my expectations because I um, I was following the controversy about the whitewashing for quite a bit ever since uh, Scarlett Johansson was cast, but I actually wasn't too familiar with the anime itself. I was a huge anime fan uh, growing up, but Ghost in the Shell had kind of just evaded my notice. Um, so I kind of I started looking it up um, when it the news came out. Um, I didn't actually watch the original uh, film until like a couple weeks ago. Um, but I did hear um, before um, I saw the movie about the big twist. Um, that was quite uh, enraging for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an understatement probably. Yeah. But, well, let's, um, uh, let's save the big twist talk until later on for the, yes. for the spoiler section. But, uh, but overall, is this a movie that you enjoyed? Is it a movie that you would recommend? I would not recommend it um, because I wasn't so much enraged as I was bored by the film. It was so it started off with having a lot of like philosophical questions that I saw like in the original animated film, but it kind of didn't follow through with any of those questions and came up with this sort of flat American blockbuster version of it, complete with a stock. Um, corporate villain. So I was I was incredibly bored by that just transition for the film, and um, it, it didn't offer anything new to me or anything that really tied me to what I don't even know what the film was trying to say. Like whatever the film was trying to say. Right, right. Um, humanity- it's about ghosts and it's about <laughs> shells. It's about say those words in the shell. (laughs) The best science fiction, you know, causes you to reconsider man's relationship to technology, what it means to be human, Uh, and certainly, I think uh, the original Ghost in the Shell did that. And we should say that Ghost in the Shell uh, is not just a film, right? It's a, it's the manga as well as. Uh, a, a couple films as well as a, a television and series. TV series, so, TV series and a whole series, bunch of right? stuff. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of stuff. It's not just one thing. <laughs> it's a franchise. But the um, one I, I do, I, the one thing, the the first film I think is the like breaking point. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it, it's it is like the, the closest. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I, certainly this is movie, this 2017 film borrows a lot from that movie in terms of specific scenes. Pretty much and everything. In, in terms yeah. of the look as well. Uh, so when we refer to the original, we'll be talking about the 1997 uh, animated film Ghost in the Shell. Uh, or I'm sorry, 1995 film yep. Ghost in the Shell, uh, directed by uh, Mamoru Ishii. Uh, Oshii. Oshii, sorry. I, I apologize. I'm just messing up pronunciations uh, <laughs> left and right here. Uh, Jeff Kanata. I yes. saw when you went in to go see Ghost in the Shell uh, this week that you were really psyched for it. You had a, you were really hopeful for this movie, right? I remember loving the anime. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I saw it in the, the late nineties. Uh, I don't think I saw it in a movie theater. I think I saw it on video, uh, or on DVD. You guys remember, you guys remember DVDs? Yeah. I remember yeah. VHS, Jeff, like the, this was a big VHS release for me. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, um, but I, I will be honest with you guys. I watched that movie. I liked that movie, but I do not remember that movie. Sure, sure. <laughs> I yeah. have. Yeah, I watched it once. I remember liking it, but uh, you know, I was excited because it was going to be basically a fresh experience for me. But I remember liking the source material, so I had high hopes. Um, and ba- make no res- make no mistake. This is a gorgeous looking film i mean it is sumptuous to the eye vibrant colorful it has this 
uh, Blade Runner esque uh, Neo Tokyo aesthetic that is they they seem to have spared no res- uh, expense in bringing to the screen. It is. It, there, are, there are some really cool sci-fi ideas, specifically around how advertising might one day look. Uh, I thought that was a, a pretty cool concept. Sure. These these giant 3D billboards that that uh, uh, inhabit the skyline. But it's and still basically Blade Runner, though. Like it is. I, I, it is I basically did find Blade that Runner. funny. Yeah, but it looks great. I mean, it, it looks great. There's a lot of stylistic uh, shots, and you know, it's. It's a beautiful movie, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only person to make this analogy, but uh, it reminded me of a movie that it constantly tells you uh, there's a difference between ghosts and shells. You know, the uh-huh. shell is the outer thing and the ghost is the, the really important part the inside. Soul, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, uh, how ironic is it <laughs> that the shell of this movie – it's pretty cool. It's like uh, you know, very shiny and pretty, uh, but it it really has no soul. It really has no <laughs> ghost, uh, yeah. and that I think is a- across every aspect of the movie. I mean, the performances seem hollow. The characters are completely uninteresting. I I, I like Scarlett Johansson a lot. She makes some very odd choices here. It's like she was all excited to play a robot, and so she had to indicate. At all times that she was a robot uh, when you think, you know, if we get to the point in the future where robots are indistinguishable from humans, they like they would really be indistinguishable from humans. They wouldn't have stupid walks, you know, like a weird like I I crapped my pants walk, which she seems to have decided to use. Um, Wow. I I mean, she's I like her as an actress. We should point out that a lot of people have been saying this is the role she was born to play. Certainly it's one that her resume uh, has led her to. Uh, you think of movies like Lucy, you know, where she plays like uh-huh. a superpowered creature. You think of Under the Skin, where she's this alien sex pot. That's her. You mean it's a role and she's her, played many, many times. Right. Not or that uh, she was her, born to play, really. Sure, fair enough. Uh, yeah. But her, the Spike Jones movie, where she plays a uh, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so she, she has a lot of movies on her resume that, that indicate she would be good. You are forgetting The away. Island, sir. How dare you? <laughs> no, that's true. How dare I? Uh, and but, you know, what, what's so magical about her is the idea of an Her the AI. movie or her the, car- or her the actor? <laughs> her the movie. Yeah, what's so magical you. about her is that she, when she, just, she just sparkles on screen. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> the, the movie Her is that, uh, you know, this AI is – is indistinguishable from from a human being. Like you, you could fall in love with this AI because it's so sophisticated, right? It it doesn't keep pointing out all the time <laughs> that it's you know there's no, there's nothing about her vocal performance in that film that tells you I'm a robot. You know that does, she doesn't she's not doing that, right? right. Uh, and I don't understand the decision to decide to sort of indicate. Anyway, we're talking a lot about that. It's it's a very yeah. minor thing. No, but, no, no, no. I think it's I think it's core to the movie. I mean, she plays yeah. uh, the character of Major like a like a like data from from Star Trek, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. it's indicative of the problems of the film, right? It sounds like just bad direction. It's like be a robot, okay? You're stiff. You you're not human. You don't know what it's like to be human. So do the robot thing, and right. there there is no nuance beyond that surface level thing. It's yeah, unfortunate and- because um, an ex machina Alicia Vikander did that so yep. much better. She really like portrayed that nuance of that kind of. Uncanny valley between human and robot, but not particularly occupying either role. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but, and, there, there, and she had a lot of rage and a lot of anger, you know, uh, a lot of kind of pent up feelings uh, in that movie, right? That she had to get across. It right. was very, it was a very complex performance, I guess, is yeah. what I'm saying. And, and it, this it, did not feel complex, Ghost in the Shell. And, and in this, complex. and in this instance, you would think it would even, she would even have more of a. Um, justification for being more human because she's literally a human trapped inside. Right. There, yes. right? It's not. It's not an AI. Right? right. It is. It is actually a human brain. It's well. It's RoboCop scenario, right? So maybe yeah. they were like, "Well, RoboCop again. Let's just <laughs> do that." RoboCop. Except, except RoboCop was actually made out of like robotic parts, so you know he had to walk like a robot. It's like they took the idea of RoboCop, uh, except she's and she is, I guess, technically made out of robotic parts, but they're a little more organic looking, you know. Yeah, and you know she does graceful Sexy stuff Robo when she Cop. wants. Sexy yeah. robot. Sexy robot. Cop. When she yeah. wants to be graceful, yeah. she's graceful. It's just this weird, like <laughs> I'm gonna walk to the other side of the room and uh, you know, like I yeah. grab my pants. Yeah. Anyway, maybe she uh, played Mass, Adre- Mass Effect Andromeda and was like, <laughs> I, I gotta do that. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, that was the first thing I thought of Devendra when Jeff said that. <laughs> to be honest. Uh, uh, but I think that that is, as you said, indicative of the entire movie. There, there, everything is not really soulful. There, right. there is all. There are a whole bunch of really vibrant action sequences, and yet nothing memorable happens. Mm-hmm. There is not a moment that I is iconic or that I think of as being super cool. I remember cool stuff happening, but not. <laughs> th- it was all just sort of generic cool stuff, if that even makes sense, and. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time in the 90s when that was enough. Like, the first Blade movie, it was enough because it's like, oh my gosh, cool stuff happened in the first and 10 minutes. And there's a of that lot movie. more going on in the first Blade movie than this movie. To, I do not, I do not, I do not think, I do not think the first Blade movie is very good. Uh, there, there's has, drama in that movie, Jeff, okay? Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> But I do. I think there was a time when just the idea of seeing sci fi on the screen like this done. With as much uh, money and and uh, special effects and care and uh, as this one seems to have have had, uh, and that kind of level of spectacle brought to a sci-fi concept like that was enough. It just ain't enough anymore. Right. Like it, maybe if this movie came out thirty years ago, yeah, it would have been or twenty years revered. Ago. Yeah. It would have been amazing because it would have been a been timely cool. adaptation too. <laughs> I mean, it kind of came yeah. out twenty years ago with yeah. the Matrix. Yes, yep, or exactly. the Ghost in the Shell anime. <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, the Matrix was the reboot that we really got, like that, and that's a a great adaptation too because it took a lot of these concepts and built on them in very American ways. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this Ghost in the Shell also does take the concept of the original and build on it in American ways, but not in a good way. I mean, the, the worst uh, American. Movies, yeah. Essentially, this movie is uh, like I'm not going to get too much into detail about the plot yet. We're going to have spoilers soon, but it's basically a born film, right? It's about yes. uh, yeah. this character trying to come to terms with who she is, figure out her past. Uh, and that is not at all an idea that was in the original anime film, right? It's, well, it's a, it's an idea that was explored, but just just explored, just touched on. No, yeah, there was not, no not even explored, like mentioned. I would say, you know, and uh, and the other concepts of like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean? What's right. the difference between human and man when so much of like our bodies are made up of these cybernetic, uh, you know, implants or whatever? Uh, uh, what was so fascinating about the original Ghost in the Shell is how the concept of being part of like a network of people was just starting to take hold in the mm-hmm. you know global consciousness. But they they didn't even have the terminology to talk about it yet, right? 
And yep. uh, and so there's a lot of really fascinating ideas brought up in that film uh, that, as you guys have pointed out, were capitalized upon in The Matrix, capitalized upon in multiple ways. Um, and uh, and that could have been brought to life in this movie that just weren't. Instead, it's kind of a find yourself movie. So it is Western in its uh, in its conception, but uh, not in a, a way that makes the movie interesting. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and and I think that the the point I was just trying to make was that even even on a surface level, which it seems to put a lot of stock into, it, it kind of fails there too. Like mm-hmm. just just even being able to appreciate it as this slick action you know sci-fi action fantasy it doesn't even really do that particularly well and you know we'll get to spoilers but the end is completely underwhelming yeah. and and bizarre um but the whole movie just feels very forgettable and generic yeah, I agree. You yep. know, one thing that I think it was uh, Keith Calder pointed out, I'm not sure who it was on Twitter, but pointed out pointed this out that uh this this movie takes place not in Tokyo. I think it takes place in Newport City, I believe, right? Does anyone can anyone confirm that? I don't think it's Tokyo. I, I can't. I was so confused that. by the setting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because most of the main characters are white. Uh but yep. then you have Japanese characters like uh, beat Takeshi Kitano in there, and all speak- the city signs were like were in Japanese. Right, as and well he, as a lot some of people speak Japanese. Setting. It's it's mm-hmm. very bizarre. It's some kind of amalgam of you know New York City and Tokyo or something like that. But one thing that uh, the the person I, was, I don't even remember who it was pointed out was that like the city in this movie seems really deserted. Like. Uh, it, it's a video game. There are That's extras. What it is. There are extras in there, but there's just not that many of them. I mean, even downtown yeah. Seattle, which is not a very populous city, uh, feels more busy to me mm-hmm. than Newport City does in Ghost in the Shell. It, it just yeah, yeah, yeah. feels like, like if you see any like video footage, like stock footage of Tokyo or New York City, it's impossibly bustling, and right. it's you can't get by with you know. There's all this humanity that's like pressing in on you all uh, everywhere you go, and that is <laughs> crucial to the themes of the original Ghost in the Shell. Like, yeah, how can yeah. you be packed in like sardines with all these people, but yet feel so alone? How can this technology be so isolating to you? Um, yet another way this movie kind of uh, yeah. misses the ball. Well, we uh, have to even, assume that that they all have sex bots and they're all just indoors all the time with their <laughs> sex bots. Never leave. Perhaps yeah. it's true. Devinder Hardwar, your thoughts on this new Ghost in the Shell? Uh, yeah, complicated guys. Because the original uh, film is a big cultural touchstone for me. Uh, I grew up uh, loving anime. Anime, I think, was my big. I, I, I think introduction to the idea of film and television as art as well. Like I, I grew up watching a lot of movies and stuff, but uh, when I really got into anime is when I started thinking harder about what all of this meant. And Ghost in the Shell, that first movie is mind blowing because it's it's sort of like a traditional action movie. There are action beats, but it's also like very different. Like it's a very philosophical film. It's a very Buddhist film. In many ways, like there are no clear answers. Sometimes there aren't even clear questions. It's a film that ponders and spends a lot of time navel gazing. And I think a lot of people were turned off by that. But I was just enthralled. So I was immediately dreading like what would happen if it were ever adapted. And I thought we were safe, right? We were 20 years away from the release of this movie. And uh, I, th- I thought we would have avoided like a straight up adaptation. And really, The Matrix was the best sort of way of adapting it too, like bringing some of those themes over, uh, but also giving it like a very different layer and a very different type of philosophical meaning. Uh, yeah, this movie, every, everything you guys say is true. 
it's empty. It is. It's a shell with no ghost. It's all of those things. It's really boring. Um, it's strange to me that it looks so cool that they spent so much time devoted to the look, even though, like you're saying, Dave, like the basic humanity of it, of actually putting people in these cities, uh, something Blade Runner did, you know, on much uh, on a much lower budget and much simpler technology. You know, just movie sets basically, and lots of lots of older ways of uh, presenting uh, special effects. That movie did that much better. You got the sense of people living in a city. Um, very little worked for me about this movie. I, I'm a big fan of Scarlett Johansson, uh, action star. You know, I, I've actually liked most of the things she's done, and I like that she's gone kind of all all the way into the sort of like sci-fi action territory. But this is a role that just didn't really suit her. And the thing is, like, it's hard to see anything good about the movie when you look at her casting, too, right? There there are some beats, like, uh, part of it looks cool. Uh, I'm kind of glad that they got Takashi Kitano in an American film and had you know gave him a chance to actually be cool for a little bit on American theater screens. That was kind of amazing to me, even though he's barely in the movie. Um, you know, there are some basic ideas, too. It does explore some ideas of identity, and it tries even though some of the scenes where it actually tries to do that are also scenes, you know, to give Scarlett Johansson an excuse to kiss, you know, another woman or something like that. Like it's, it tries to have these ideas and then it just kind of fails, I think too. Um, but yeah, this, this is a movie that is all about surface level answers. Like it, it brings up questions and then it immediately answers them. And by the end of the movie, like the major questions are resolved and we have a new journey ahead. And it's also like pat and simple. It just, it made me really angry. And, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Like it is the most surface level way of adapting this material that, you know, we could have done. I think one of my big issues of the movie is it doesn't do – other than production design, it doesn't do any one thing very well. Right. right? Uh, production design is solid. You know, A lot of it is inspired by the anime. So they bring it to life in an interesting way. Like you guys said, advertising on, in the city is kind of interesting. But uh, the, none of the characters are very memorable. Uh, the, it's not a good action movie. Like If nope. it was a mindless action film, you could say, hey, go check out this movie. The story is terrible, but the action is amazing. So, you know, the action is fine. It's, uh, you could watch an Avengers movie and there would be a similar amount of Scarlett Johansson kicking ass in that. It's, it's, it's a weird sort of action, too, because it's pretty, but it's not particularly well staged or well shot like there's in the opening scene like she is like running on a wall or something and it just looks awful it I, just looks like I it enjoyed, doesn't look, i enjoyed the opening i enjoyed the opening but jeff kind of fine but say? it's yeah it just doesn't really add much it did make me yearn for a a real um uh black widow movie yes. <laughs> i was like I, I would like to actually see a black widow movie instead of this yeah mm-hmm. uh and so there's just unfortunately nothing really to recommend it uh, and that is a bummer. Uh, and it seems like a lot of audiences agreed this movie made $19 million at the box office this weekend. It costs $110 million to make. It's going to be lucky to get to $60 million domestic. Could still make it up uh, in the international market, but things are looking pretty rough for mm. Ghost in the Shell right now. Uh, and pretty rough for Paramount as a whole, which just got a new CEO uh, this past week. So hopefully Jim Giannopoulos can steer the ship in the right direction. But uh, in the meantime, Ghost of the Shell is not going to do them any favors. They yeah. really you know, did their best to, to market this thing, though. Uh, they other, did, but other than I, casting you know, an actual Asian person in the lead and not uh, you know, and stanching the flow of this uh, incredible outcry against the movie, 
uh, everything, like with the movie they were given, you know, they tons of trailers, there's billboards everywhere. They did an Oculus experience. I felt like they they earnestly tried to make this hit. It just well, audiences they, weren't having it. They poured a lot of money into this because they probably desperately need a franchise. And that's what we're seeing from every studio now. But after watching this thing, I don't know why it exists. <laughs> like, that's the big thing. Like, why are you here? movie like what are you trying to convey well set, are you setting to... major up as a you know franchise sure, starter. Sure. yeah but also like the original ghost in the shell was it was a you know it was originally a niche anime thing like uh and it it was one of the things that made people first start taking anime seriously uh but it, it was it wasn't like something that a lot of people would pay money to see an adaptation right it was right. never a massive cultural phenomenon it was a niche cultural phenomenon among a very specific group of people so you're saying even uh, yeah. in a craven money-making way, it was a bad yes. move. I know? don't know. Who are you <laughs> making this movie for? You're not making the movie for the anime fans. You're not making it for the general audience who doesn't care what Ghost in the Shell is. Like, And they're spending so much money for what? I don't, that's not I how things work understand. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't analyze audience. All they do is they look at, do, does this thing already exist? Yeah. Do, does it have prove- even 1% pre-awareness, right? Yeah. Do, yeah. Is it an already existing thing that we can mine and and use for a thing. We don't have to make something new. We can actually just take this already existing thing that yeah, already exists in the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and anime is obviously a ne- next target too because um, yes. we're seeing like a bunch of other series come out like the Death Note series. The Acura movie is still trying to get made. And, um, I've read, jo- and I've Jordan read Peele theoretically yes. going to direct Akira although I don't know I if that movie is even going to be made now. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Although if it was going to be made, I think Jordan Peele – I would trust Jordan Peele to handle it well. Um, um, that's, that's a longer mm, conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jeff Yang, who is a writer, uh, tweeted out he, – he had a little tweet storm today and I thought it was pretty interesting mental exercise. He says uh, – uh, Ghost in the Shell is going to make under $100 million domestic. It might make less than $60 million. My bet, and filmmakers can chime in here, is that it could have been made for under $50 million with a cast of unknowns, quote-unquote, and an Asian lead. Would have been mm-hmm. a very different movie. You wouldn't shoot in Hong Kong. Less of the FX porn that Rupert Sanders seems to swoon, seems to swoon over. But do we really need to see a woman's eyes flipped up like a visor or liquid muscle being extruded into ScarJo's body? That's a rhetorical question. The sad thing is how badly Sanders and the writers misread Ghost in the Shell's story. It's not about robots. It's not really about hardware at all. It's about software, a meditation on whether we are, in fact, all just code. And he goes on That's to true. kind of fantasize about this, uh, this other movie he could have made. But yeah, this could have been a much different movie, a much mm-hmm. smaller movie. Uh, movie that Imagine didn't... like something like Looper, right? That yeah. is a much smaller scale sci-fi movie, but it still managed to get some good ideas across. And hey, they, they had a big actor in there too like you can make it work but that's not the idea that they had for this movie um and just by the way the one thing i want to point out like go back and watch ghost in the shell that is an amazing looking movie right the, the stuff they were doing the, uh, yeah, the original one yeah. like that was some amazing stuff and the whole that really showed the whole point of anime and animation that you could literally you could do anything guys like you could create you know somebody whose hands you know expand to be like 20 different fingers typing at once and you see that image for the first time it's really cool and you see it here and it's like oh well that's original i'm sure that cost that sh- one shot of somebody doing it in a car in this movie for you know 10 seconds probably costs who knows how many millions of dollars <laughs> and that's that's kind of the problem probably right? the, the tens of thousands us- but yeah I, I i take your point yeah that this movie refers to a lot of things from the original and brings very little new to the table 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't see any point in aping the iconography of the original film if it wasn't being made for either the original fans, um, who would be the only ones recognizing this yep. icon, I, this imagery, um, and like it would be it would mean nothing to this general audience who knows nothing about what like the original um, context of these images are, and like mm-hmm. they're not really. Images that are based in any emotional value either. They're just cool looking images. Like a couple of the shots are just shot uh, frame for frame from like the original um, animated film, but they don't really have serve any context outside of looking cool or being like, hey, that was in the original movie. Right. I think like, there's, I, I there's think an action set it. piece. Go ahead, Jeff. You nailed it. I, I think that is, that is absolutely right on. They are there for cool sake. Uh, there is no reason for her to jump backwards off of a building to get anywhere. There's no, there's nothing in the movie that even makes you think that that's something that she would do. Like what we see her do it, and it's and it's kind of bizarre because yeah, because uh, she did it in the original movie, right? That's right, why. exactly. And, and also, it, this movie couldn't even go that far too because she does it in the nude because that's like a that's a whole other thing about Ghost in the Shell and how it was like also a weirdly erotic work of art too especially the manga like there is a there's an orgy scene in the manga that was cut out when it was first released in America so it's a whole thing but yeah go on right. where she's not nude in this movie obviously cuz yeah it's be, it's a nude suit it's yeah. a it's a never nude suit basically yeah but I, I mean i think that that's that's the whole sort of yes. metaphor i was trying to go for is that the, yeah. the, it, this is a shell of a movie this is we're just kind of plucking these cool images out and sticking them in we're plucking these these things that uh you can cobble together into a a film but there's no there there there's there's it's hollow and it's lifeless and there's no ghost in the shell <laughs> all right well with all that being said, I think we got to talk about spoilers for Ghost in the Shell. Let's do that starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... They're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. HT... At the beginning of this review, you referred to the big twist at the end. The which big is, twist. Which is basically that at the end of this movie, Scarlett Johansson's character Major finds out that she is Major Motoko Kusanagi. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a Japanese woman who is an anti-government person that was ripped out of – her brain was ripped out of her body and implanted into a white woman's body. It's the right. inverse get out. Yes. <laughs> It's not even a good version of Get Out, um, yeah. but it it's shocking how this movie has been um, accused of for so long of cultural appropriation um, that it just took that and made it a plot point. And it did not do it well either. So, like, I, there's this really great um, uh, review on Variety, I think, on, on Vulture, that talks about... Um, if they had used this plot twist as sort of a, a commentary on um, how a, a white um, American corporation takes Asian brains and puts them in um, white bodies to make these sort of super soldiers because we see white bodies as being superior and kind of delving into uh, those uh, social kind of constructs of seeing the white body as the norm and as the uh, the superior sort of being as you would say Mm -hmm. um but the film doesn't really do that it just it 
does it for a shocking twist and then never really again follows up on the ramifications of that. It says it's it doesn't go into the loss of agency for Motoko uh, Kusanagi's character. Like she doesn't even show up on screen um, in a full like her face never shows up right, on screen. Right. And um, it's we have like a brief moment where Scarlett Johansson is at her grave with her mother and she's uh, saying goodbye to Motoko's past life, but there's no um, way of uh, settling that, I don't know, Mm -hmm. that discourse. Right. Uh, You know, I think a more uh, trenchant version of this movie could have been as well regarded as something like Get Out, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think if they were interested in that. And and by the way, uh, the review you're referring to, uh, HT, is by Emily Yoshida. She wrote the review of Ghost in the Shell for for Vulture. I mean, I, David Chen, I'm convinced that Ghost in the Shell is a movie about the making of itself. Like, (laughs) it's a movie about... You know, uh, a, a an Asian idea, an Asian mind that gets implanted into a white shell, you know, but, like, doesn't really understand what to do with itself, is desperately trying to figure out how to get back to its roots, and, uh, you know, a- ends up attempting to make peace with it, but uh, doesn't really succeed too much in the end, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was a, that was a rough way of explaining, you know, very rough boom goes dynamite there, but, you know what I mean, like, it's... It's a movie that, like, the ending, like you said, HT, could have been really brilliant where you have this aha moment of, oh, yeah, like, this movie is actually a commentary on how uh, the U.S. movie studio system takes Asian ideas and and manufactures them into, like, really, you know, uh, perfect packages like Moana and Ghost in the Shell or whatever. Um, But it's not that. It's just it seems like it's completely tone deaf. They, They don't seem like they... They have any of that in mind when they're making this ending. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very unfortunate because it comes off as like very – like someone should have raised their hand and said, hey, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe yeah. in a movie that's going to be embroiled in controversy, we shouldn't have this being a major plot point. And it's funny because I remember during the press tours or um, when the controversy, controversy first showed up, Scarlett Johansson was saying, I would never presume to play another race. And that was the entire <laughs> like, ro- role that she was playing. It's just, it's just, yeah. It's, it seems very tone deaf, and it doesn't really take into definite, t- take into context like the actual definition of cultural appropriation, which is picking and choosing various aspects of a certain culture that you enjoy, and not bringing in the full context of it. Right. Just taking it and um, bringing it into a new, um, to it, bring it into a new, uh, new environment. Uh, yeah, new context without without mm. like uh, respecting it or doing honor mm-hmm. to the fu- the fullness of it, and uh, that's exactly what this movie does. It takes these ideas, this uh, look of the original, right? Uh, it takes the scenes from the original, but it does not at all embody the complexity uh, or the thought provoking nature of the original. Um, and so, yeah, it's it, very much the plot of the movie kind of mirrors uh, the actual, you know, movie itself and the, and the context around the making of mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell 2017. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is that it just, it's on its face, like on its own terms, it doesn't seem to make much sense because uh, characters in this movie, like the one played by Takeshi Kitano, speak Japanese – so shouldn't Major speak Japanese too? Because she is a Japanese <laughs> yeah. woman. In, in well, you book? know, Dave, uh, in Blade Runner, someone also <laughs> spoke 
Japanese, and the other character understood just fine. So clearly, that, that movie. movie can do it. That movie can do it. We can do it, and we don't have to justify it. At the risk, at the risk of logic. belaboring, yeah. at the risk of belaboring the point, um, I think the quote from from uh, Scarlett Johansson points to kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of of what she's doing in this movie. Right? It feels like she's playing the shell. But she's supposed to be playing the ghost. Right. Yep. Like, yep. Yep. It, yep. You know, she says, oh, I would never play uh, another race. I, I'm All I'm playing is the cybernetic construct. No. That's <laughs> the whole point of the anime is that that's the false part and the, sh- the ghost is the real part. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's it's a yeah. It's I mean, it, it goes back to the villain in the original film, too, which is basically just software. It's basically just AI and this idea of AI kind of consolidating power and uh, I don't know, like trying to take control in its own way. This movie like is not interested in the bigger ideas like it, it, it almost like shoves away every single big idea from you know maybe the original or even like its own ideas that it brings up. Like it could be doing new and interesting things and it basically refuses and it takes the easy way out every time. I also want to talk about the end just on a pure action movie level because I think it completely fails uh, to crescendo. The spider, yeah. the spider yeah. tank attack you're talking a about? A spider tank which has not been established in any way. Right. It, it, it's, it is now the big bad that needs to be vanquished, I guess, uh, because <laughs> that needs to happen. But w- there's no context for that thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, now there are spider robots in this world? Okay. Um, <laughs> and we have to kill it in a very – boring way i mean a very rudimentary lame way and i guess she kind of sacrificed her arms for that moment but even though we know she'll get them back she'll like, get them back and it, like, them. what yeah. what was that even about like what what courage did that take to do what cleverness did it take right. to uh, there was no <coughs> excuse me <coughs> Jeff, Jeff is so incensed about his the shell. Scene. His he's shell just, is rejected. Yeah, him. he's just coughing up a storm because he can't because take how, how bad the scene was. <clears throat> There's no climax to that moment. There's no crescendo. There, it's, it's, and then we still have a, an outstanding villain that is really the main villain who's been sitting in a room playing a video game, I guess, kind of. And how we kill him is is completely uninteresting and lame too. This side character that we've seen like three times does the I guess the coolest part of the movie, yeah. which is vanquish the main villain. And, it's another evil corporation. That's all it is. Yeah. It's yeah, the, the weirdest is, ending. Yeah, the it, main it, villain is that stock corporate character that you'll see in every superhero sci-fi um, American. Um, it's Paul Reiser from Alien. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Very good. Uh, It's funny. It's funny that you bring up like the finale too, Jeff, because I think of the original film too, which also has like a big uh, tank like robot, which kind of appears out of nowhere. Uh, And that scene always kind of was a bit jarring in the original film because it turned into a much bigger action film than originally started. But then the original film just kind of ends. Yeah. Right. There aren't any big answers. It doesn't it refuses to give you answers and you're left thinking about what's happening in the movie. And I think that's interesting. And where this movie fails is that every single thing has to give you an answer. Oh, who's the bad guy? Well, the the original bad guy we thought was the terrorist was actually her friend. And he's kind of sympathetic now, even though he clearly had people killed. And, uh, okay, we feel sympathy for him now. But it's really the bad guy 
you know, the big corporate villain. And what's her point in this movie? Oh, to find her purpose. Oh, her purpose is to be a killing machine. Sure. Even though she was a teenage girl before this and she may want to reclaim some semblance of her life. No, sure. <laughs> no, no, sure. no. She's, she's going to do – she's, she's going to go on now. adventures with Section 9 after this. She's a weapon yeah, now. Yeah, she's fine. By the way, yeah. Section 9, we're supposed to give a shit about those guys? Like, <laughs> They're a bunch like of misfits. She's got a, 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 this crazy cool uh, connection with, uh, with the – by the way, <laughs> side note, quick side note. Um, this movie has Chekhov's cybernetic eyes in it because <laughs> that dude gets cybernetic eyes and never once uses them. And the whole yep. movie, I'm like, I can't wait to see when this dude's cybernetic eyes pay off. <laughs> well, Jeff, he had them in the original movie, you see, and uh, yeah. therefore he has to have them here and that's that. And yeah. that was a good movie. So therefore, yeah. by the transitive power of good – I think yeah. you, you know you guys are pointing to the fact that Devinder, you're you're say, saying that the original movie, the ending was very enigmatic and uh, to some yeah. people probably pretty off-putting. It's not yeah, it's not, not a very a satisfying ending. ending, right? Yeah. But this movie tries to make a satisfying ending, <laughs> and in doing so, it ends up being like very unremarkable as a result. Like mm-hmm. you, you remember the first one? It's it's a beautiful shot of uh, of Major walking into you know this networked city, and in this movie. Uh, it's kind kind of a similar ending, but it just does not feel as memorable because everything is tied up in a nice, neat bow, like you said. It's so neat. It's so weirdly neat. It's kind of this movie also shows the differences between the original film and the TV series, which is a much more like episodic, like let's go on adventures with Section Nine and they're cute robots and everything. And there's some great things about that series, but it's weird to jar to. Comp- basically combine the philosophical side and the more like episodic side so this one had to set up a sequel so every everything kind of had to be wrapped up and there are really no greater questions and i found that to be the most disappointing thing about this film it's like you you're adapting you know a cyberpunk existential classic and the best you can do is just like raise some questions uh that you know the original film raised that freaking mary shelley raised in frankenstein like we've seen this a lot you're not adding anything new and you tie it up in like the simplest way possible like that's what ultimately made me feel incredibly sad about this movie but also yes the casting made it all worse so yeah that was mary great. shelley uh, let's get her on the phone we got that sounds like franchise material <laughs> is there anything we think the movie did well let me, let me ask, that, ask that question i i'll throw out a couple things okay uh-huh. i thought the I mean, even the score. Clint Mansell, obviously yeah, one yeah. of my favorite uh, composers. He was one of the people who worked on the score. Uh, the score was very good, but the original score, I thought, is, is like iconic. You know, it is yes. an incredible piece of music uh, that this movie this movie doesn't quite match. It, it does a good job. It's a it's a pretty good score, uh, but it just that one is just legendary in my opinion. I, I think you miss you miss the remix to the original song, Dave. Mm. No, that's I, a I, that's a thing. It's it played during the credits, and there's like a music video of it. It is a techno remix of the original, and it makes me just want to kill myself. Okay. It is not good. <laughs> um, uh, Juliet Binoche plays a character named Doctor Ulay, who is not in the original film. Uh, and I thought that was you know I love Juliet Binoche as an actress, and that was could have been really good. Yeah. I mean I like Juliet Binoche. I'm not saying really to that. I'm saying really that you thought that character was necessary. I like and- the, no, not okay, not not necessary, Jeff. We're we're way past that. I mean, the only thing I could think just, when I was grasping. seeing. You're saying I like seeing Juliet Binoche getting work. That's, what you're <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, I love Juliet Binoche, but the only thing I could think when I was watching her was she deserves better than this movie. Yes. Fair yeah. enough. Okay, um, Kuze, played by Michael Pitt. Uh, 
I liked the vocal effects that they used on him, right? Like, he's kind of talking. He's kind of a machine, but he's kind of not. That's kind of yeah. cool. I thought the coolest part of the movie, honestly, was the uh, the um, geisha robot spider ladies Ooh. at the beginning, which is straight out of the anime, right? But mm-hmm. nothing that cool ever happens again. Right. And, and, <laughs> and they, they blew, like, half their budget they, on that they one blew scene, that, too. <laughs> they, blew that in the, they blew half their budget, and they blew that in the trailer as well. Yes. It was the main yeah. source of their marketing. So it, once you saw that, you're like, oh, that was a really cool two-minute scene. But yeah. The rest it, of the movie it, does not live up to it. You feel like in that universe where that's possible, maybe a whole lot of other cool stuff would be possible, but nope. <laughs> turns out no. Yeah, I, I mean, I do wonder, you know, what this movie would have been like if it was more of a uh, like one thing that the original animated movie did is that it just dropped you into this world. It like air dropped mm-hmm. you into this world with like no explanation of anything. I mean, there's opening crawl text, but like. Yeah. Uh, it just the events just kind of play out, you know. And you're this, absorbing mind-blowing things, like every right, scene, one right. after another. This movie is very major-centric, you know. Like she's she's in a lot of the, uh, almost every scene, and you're kind of viewing the world through her, like her journey of self-discovery. Uh, and it just is is less interesting of a way to tell this particular story, in my opinion, uh, and leaves very little memorable. You know, I think. One way this movie could have succeeded too is the relationship between Major and Batu, played by Pilu Azbek, mm-hmm. uh, and that it just didn't work for me. You know, it, yeah. I didn't really feel like they had a strong connection. There just wasn't enough time for that relationship to breathe. Uh, there, there were other aspects it could have succeeded at. We've referred to like could have been a really great action movie, could have been an amazing social commentary on like the United States cultural appropriation system could have been a lot of things uh and it just unfortunately failed to be anything really well so uh any other thoughts guys or shall we wrap it up uh i think those are our thoughts on ghost of shell anyone excited for the next one there isn't gonna be a next one yeah there is gonna be a next one it's very unfortunate um (laughs) when the matrix gets rebooted Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, that'll be exciting. Anyway, um, so those are our thoughts on Ghost in the Shell, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And our music comes from adamwarrock.com. Simon M. Harris wrote our slash film court theme. And Kyle Hillinger did our spoiler theme bumper. Uh, HT, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, so you can find me at SlashFilm.com. I am on Twitter at HTranBui, and I also host my own podcast called The Millennial Falcon. Uh, we're on Twitter at Falcon Podcast, and we're also on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. All that right. is a fantastic title for a show. I agree. Thank you. I agree. We thought of it first, so I think the nerdists <laughs> just announced their own Millennial Falcon podcast, Aww. but we thought of it about a year ago. Mm. And All of those lawyers. Do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that nerdist. He's got money. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Kanata. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And uh, I have a whole bunch of other shows you can check out. If you like video games, oh, man, I got you covered. Every single day I'm on Anchor doing a, a short form a video game show called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find that at anchor.fm slash NLB. Uh, I also have a long-form video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I have a, a short comedy science show 
called We Have Concerns, and you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. You, you know, Jeff, my number one complaint about your where we can find you on the internet, not enough shows, I think, is really <laughs> I got to work on complaint. that. Yeah. Got to work on that. Je- uh, giving your hardware, where can we find more of your work? Well, Jeff, you have to just jack in to the network, you see, and just become a part of the network. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're going to learn something from Ghost in the Shell. You can find me uh, on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech and gadget.com. I just did a fun VR video, uh, or a fun video of Guitar Hero, not Guitar Hero, Rock Band VR. It is the dorkiest thing I've ever done on video, so it's a lot of fun. Check oh, that so out in Gadget. So good. I watched Such it. a good game. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great game. And uh, find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. Next week, we usually talk about what we're going to review next week, but uh, guys, we haven't decided yet. So next week's review is going to be a surprise. So For us, especially. For, for all, we're just going to show up and review something, I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, next week's releases, guys, not too great. We got the Smurfs of the Lost Village. Yeah. Uh, but the one that I'm really interested in is Zach Braff's new movie, Going in Style. Uh, and of course... The Case for Christ, which <laughs> is based off the Lee Strobel book that I have actually read. So I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not actually interested in seeing the movie. I am interested in seeing how bad it is, though. <laughs> in any case, uh, tune in next week. We'll have something interesting for you. Thanks for like Smurfs it is, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Slashfilm.com. We're out. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, it's the Slashfilm Welcome to the Slash Filmcast After Dark. We talk about a variety of random topics uh, that we've been thinking about. We don't consider them to be super important topics of any consequence. We don't assume people are even listening at this point no, in the show. The main stopped. show, the main event's already over, right? Yeah. I mean, this They'll is just yeah. chilling time. We're just hanging out, talking about all sorts of random stuff. People in the Slack Filmcast were able to identify the fact that I was eating during the last After Dark Devendra. <laughs> I thought I was pretty subtle about it, but Busted. they said, hey, what, what was Dave eating on the last After Dark? That, and by the way, you know, always makes for good radio. Firstly, sound that's how much Dave does not care. That's but. how much I don't care, right? The, I mean, firstly, the answer is almonds, just so you guys know. <laughs> and secondly, uh, yeah, that's I mean, that, that is the Dave. kind of lackadaisical professionalism you can expect in the After Dark. So I, expect- I can't wait for the eventual After Dark from the toilet. Like, we're just all... <laughs> I mean, you're assuming that's not happening right now. Yeah. So that's a bad uh, assumption. Salted or unsalted? Let's get to topics. <laughs> now, Jeff Kanata, there's, there's two topics the- we just want to discuss today, okay? Well, my topic, but go ahead. Number one is last week we discussed this new plan that studios have um, where you could see a movie three to four weeks after it's out in theaters for, I think, it's $30. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's before the video on demand release window, but after the theatrical release window. The movie's been out for three to four weeks in theaters. You can see it at home, like rent it for $30. Would you mm-hmm. do that? Uh, maybe. We, we maybe. speculated that one of the targets of this is like, and actually, someone, uh, I think Ben, Ben P, tweeted at us, Devendra. He said that one of the biggest targets for this is people with families. Mm-hmm. Who like to stay in the cultural conversation, <laughs> right? right? So you want you don't want to be like you want to know all the spoilers for Get Out, but you have a one year old kid at home, yeah. And right. so you need you want to see Get Out as soon as possible. You can't make it out to the theater, um, but you still are willing to pay as much money as possible to see it. 
Jeff Kanata, does, I mean, I guess you've already worked out a sweet, sweet deal where you are seeing <laughs> movies by yourself, presumably. This is true. Uh, for the yeah. Slash Filmcast. Right. But, this um, is, uh, yeah. But, but you my, know, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, this is my, uh, my, don't tell my wife, but this is my, you know, I do this show for one reason and one reason only. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that, Jeff. And mm-hmm. secondly, uh, I mean, is this something you would invest in? Is this something you would, you can see yourself like watching this, you know, a movie at home, watching Get Out at Home three weeks after it's out in theaters for $30? Man, maybe, maybe. Uh, I think this is a, a convenience charge. You know what I mean? This is a, a, um, a, it would be great if this was, a way for people to see films that aren't get out that are, uh, you know, there isn't an art house in their area. So maybe some films that are in art house release that it's hard to get, you know, drive, you know, 50 miles to go to the closest place that's playing their movie. I think that would be kind of rad, but I also think, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to watch, you know, Fast and the Furious 8 in your home instead mm-hmm. of in the movie theater. And I think for most of the people that would prefer to watch it in their home, I would prefer they weren't at the movie theater because usually <laughs> they treat the movie theater like their home. Right. And uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong with this. And I think it is probably a pretty uh, attractive notion to to some people. So um, – I mean, I think you guys are objecting to the $30 price tag. I wasn't objecting to anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm all right with it. I, th- I fully see the point of it. Yeah. I, I mean, this is basically pay-per-view, right? This is what yeah, pay-per-view right. used to be. It is fascinating. You know, CinemaCon was this week. And for those who don't know, uh, CinemaCon is like an annual conference of uh, put to, put together by NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, <laughs> the, the other um, NATO, the other NATO, right? The <laughs> the one that's <laughs> yeah, that's on their business cards. We're the other NATO. One one of them has to do with the entertainment industry and Donald Trump. No, anyway, I'm not going to yeah. do that. Anyway, but oh, point that being, good. that was good. Uh, point being that uh, you know, I read this interesting article at TheVerge.com about how the one theme at NATO, the, I'm sorry, at CinemaCon this year was denial. Everyone is saying, oh, man, the, in, the, the movie-going industry is doing great, guys. Pat yourselves on the back. We have a bright future ahead of us. When, in fact, the future of the movie industry is very, very, uh, at best, okay, and at worst, quite bleak. Now, right. some people have asked uh, – we got, we got a question on Twitter earlier today, and, and, and several people have expressed this confusion. Hey, guys, every year I'm hearing about box office records being broken. So what are you talking about when you say the theater industry or the movie-going industry is in decline? What you need to look at is not box office numbers. You need to look at tickets sold. And if you look at tickets sold over time, the number is basically stagnant from, let's say, 1995 till today. Like, it it is not an industry that is growing. And so uh, there are two big sources for increasing ticket prices. One is inflation. And the other one is, you know, add-ons like IMAX or uh, 3D. And D-Box. Kind of D-Box, 4DX, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And so inflation and those other add-ons means that the amount of money spent goes up and up. Mm-hmm. But uh, the actual number of tickets sold is not really changing that much. In general, ticket prices just creeping up too. Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah well, that's what I mean forever. by inflation. You know, like yeah. that's those prices going up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, operational costs going up. Whatever. Uh, and so it's it's an industry that's not in good shape because think about who who are the who are the young people 
who are really into you know sitting in a movie theater these days. Mm-hmm. It's they like young people are going to movies less and less because they have tons of other things that can entertain them, like the internet, Snapchat, YouTube, whatever. Uh, and when people like us die out, guys, you know who's gonna go? <laughs> who's gonna go see the movies? Who's gonna when go to the theaters? Out. Right? Yeah, like, it's, it's true. Um, so I, I've it, talked to a lot of my younger relatives, right? And everyone has this thing where people have a hard time just sitting through a movie. Yeah. Like just sitting yeah. still and watching right. a movie, even at home. So imagine like a theater is almost torture if you feel like that. So what you're saying is we can't die. <laughs> <laughs> it is imperative we, that we don't die. What I'm saying is we are literally immortal, Jeff. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, I bring that up because, you know, $30, you know, three weeks after the movies come out, that's a way to uh, change up the business model. Mm-hmm. Although this article at The Verge uh, was talking about how one way theater owners could protect themselves is uh, by figuring out different ways of using – like their advantage. What is theater owners' advantage mm-hmm. is they have physical space, Right. They have a physical gathering space that you, you just don't have at home, right? You can meet a bunch of strangers and uh, do stuff with them. And one of the things was VR. Like, there's a, the, like imagine if AMC was kitted out with, like, all this VR stuff that you could do, you know, that you, you can't do at home because you don't have the equipment or whatever. But then it's basically just an arcade. Like, uh, that's an extension of the arcade part of the cinema, not the, like, cinema part Sure. I mean, there's the more immersive... Yeah experiences you could have than just arcades you know like and you see some of this at ces davindra um Mm -hmm. but the question is like how can they use these spaces in ways that will get people going to them again yeah i mean we're we're seeing some of that like i love the move towards just better seats really nice like recliners and lazy boys and all those things like making the experience more comfortable than your actual living room is actually a great strategy and at that point i don't mind paying a little more for a ticket where i can just go somewhere and like have a nice sit you know like a really good sit you know in a what? Leather couch. speaking of, of of ways to make the a theater going experience more comfortable this is the other topic that we're going to talk about we got sent this article by like 50 people and uh it, it came up a few weeks ago we never discussed it on the slash filmcast because it's been a few weeks since we've all been together and i wanted to wait for jeff canada to be here because he's the only parent here. Uh, this is an LA Times article. It's entitled, At These Movie Theaters, Kids Can Play on a Jungle Gym Next to Their Parents' Seats. And uh, there's a photo here of this theater. And on the uh, like the right side of the theater, there is a massive jungle gym. Like, there's a massive like you know playground uh, that's grafted onto the side of the theater. It seems like a joke. I'm going to read from, the, uh, <laughs> from this article here by Ryan uh, Fodner. Mexico-based movie theater chain Cinepolis is betting it can lure more families back to the multiplex with its new in-theater playground concept, Cinepolis Jr., which makes its U.S. debut at two Southern California locations next week. The remodeled auditoriums at Cinepolis USA's Pico Rivera and Vista Theaters each feature a colorful play area near the screen in front of the seats, a jungle gym, and cushy beanbag chairs. Uh, and apparently they charge uh, $3 more than a normal ticket for the, for the privilege of, of going to this movie theater with a the jungle gym. I am so bummed I don't live in L.A. because I would totally have gone to this movie theater to document my experience there. Did you love beanbag chairs. and Yeah, you're yeah. all about beanbag chairs. <laughs> Jeff, do you know where the Pico Rivera and Vista theaters are? Is that near you? 
Uh, I'm going to Google it right now. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, so I, maybe yeah, that I, you know, if it burns down tomorrow, I did not. You, you guys knew nothing about this googling that I'm about to do. All right, Jeff. So tell tell us, Jeff. I mean, as someone who has kids or has a kid, and you know, you 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 have trouble getting to the movie theater with your wife. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't you love to just bring your kid to the theater? Yes. Have them. Play? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Mm-hmm. Is why don't they put the fucking uh, jungle gym <laughs> in an ancillary room and offer for three dollars more per ticket child care services. Right. How about like that? Oh, Jeff, did Just you misunderstand the article? That's not what's being offered here. The no, I know, I know that's not what's being offered. I'm Jeff saying, is saying what the better idea. I, I know. Why I is there not? Idea. Why did the idiot who who said put the jungle gym in the theater not maybe think we could put it next to the theater and make the same amount of extra dollars? All you got to do is hire, a, you know, a licensed and sanctioned. Well, well there, there you go, Jeff. It requires money. You're not just <laughs> if, putting if, a playground in a theater. Yeah, the freaking, I mean, this is a playground in a theater. Requires so little effort, Jeff. There's the 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 LA Fitness that I go to has that. If the LA Fitness can figure it out, AMC Theaters can figure it out, or whatever. This, <laughs> you know, have you seen health clubs though? Like they're doing so well. Come <laughs> on, Jeff. They don't have movie theater. Like movie theaters don't have that kind of money anymore. <laughs> Uh, Pico Rivera is uh, is not near. It's uh, this is uh, Buena Park Downey Fullerton. It's uh, East LA Montebello. It's you know it's it's not near me, but um, uh, it I is. Mean, Jeff, I think we need a, a report of uh, what this experience. What was the other one? Where was the other Pico Rivera? And where was the other one? Uh, the other one is called uh, Vista Theaters. Cinepolis, Cine- USA Vista. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, my God. And you know you're supposed Vista. to look. Oh your, wait, that's yeah. San Diego. San Diego. So it's not even. It's nowhere. Vista near Village. Yeah. Yeah. San Diego. Yeah. But the Pico uh-huh. Rivera. It sounds like it's achievable for you to get there, right? It is. Uh, it is. It, it sounds like the worst thing. It, it is. It, it is the worst <laughs> idea. It is the worst idea. Um, if you want to just like have a play date and put on a movie, why do you need to go to a movie theater to do that? And it is teaching all of the wrong ideas about what it is to convene in a public space and watch a movie. It is, it's, it's. It, uh, I hate this idea so much, guys. <laughs> oh man, I thought I thought you'd be super psyched, Jeff. I hate it. I hate it. I'm, I'm, I understand. I understand the parental dilemma of wanting to see a movie, but they're not gonna. This is like you're taking your kid to see Cars 3. You're not – it's not like you're finally getting out of the house and going to see Get Out. You know, It's like, oh, finally there's right. a jungle gym inside the you know, I'm going to see. Movie. I'm going to see Interstellar at the movie yeah. theater. I'm going to have them play around on the side while I do that. Right. Raw or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's, you know, it's literally just the, a substitute for getting a, a Disney home video and putting it on in your living room. Like, right. What's Except the point? The kids are playing around on something where they could potentially harm themselves too. So you have to pay attention to them while yeah, also and if trying to watch it, the movie. And uh, if I you need know. to have your kids see the newest Disney movie as soon as it hits theaters, guess what? If they're on a jungle gym, they ain't watching it. So your money was poorly applied here. Like, the, yeah, you know, if your kid can't sit still long enough to watch the movie, you don't have to take him to the newest movie. You could just put on whatever stupid thing is on television already. All right. Well, I hate this I, idea, Dave. I, hate I am it. very curious to hear what people think of this. So, if you have been there or would like to go there and report back, let let us know. I I, I kind of want to hear hear what the experience of watching it's like. 
Um, it's got to be hell on earth. I, I, bet, I bet there's a sign like uh, at the, at some pools, right? Just play at your own risk. There's nobody watching after you here, so uh, yeah. you know, take after you take care of your children because they yeah. may get mangled on this equipment. All right. Well, there you heard it, tell people. Jeff Kanata, one whose movie-going habits are exactly representative of mainstream America, <laughs> does, not, does not think this is a good idea. So, yeah. all right. <laughs> are we done, guys? I think uh, we're done. I, pretty much. I, I do want to throw a shout-out to the craziest movie trailer I have seen in years. I know you guys, both of you, will never, probably won't see this until after the movie. So you will completely miss this whole, like, the zeitgeist of us freaking out about how stupid this trailer is. But the trailer for The Book of Henry, Colin Trevorrow's uh, new movie, uh, stars uh, Naomi Watts. Mm, One of my favorites. And Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, two Colin great Trevorrow actors. Is the director of episode nine. That's the, that Colin Trevorrow? Yep. Jurassic World and yep. Safety Not Guaranteed. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's a big name now, right? He's, he's doing this movie. It's about a mother and her precocious child, and he's really smart. And uh, it it starts like a movie about, you know, this really precocious, super smart kid helping his mom. And it ends somewhere you would not expect. I, 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 I could bet you money that you definitely would not know where this trailer goes by the end. If only you guys could watch it, because I also don't have much hope that this will be a great movie. So this feels like a trailer you could just watch with uh, no consequence. Uh, but my God, I don't, I don't know what's going on with it. And the, uh, the, there is a poster for this movie that looks like an Amblin-esque right. 80s movie. Yeah. Which, oh, this will be a nice, fun thing with uh, Naomi Watts and Jacob Tremblay. Um, and the trailer tells a very, very different story. So I just thought that was hilarious. And uh, if you're not averse to watching trailers, check that out and be astounded by some really poor marketing. You know what trailer I did watch? Uh, the trailer for the new It, Stephen King. Oh, yeah. That's a great trailer. Jeff Kanata, uh, are you psyched for the It movie? And I assume you're never going to watch the trailer, right? Um, Maybe I'm probably not going to. I could watch the. Tra- I mean, I, f- I read the book uh, and saw. You, the- you oh, know you, what's up? So yeah. I could probably. Watch you read the book. You got to watch the trailer, then, Jeff. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you should. That being said, guys, this movie yeah. is nuts. Uh, this movie trailer, I should say, is nuts. Two hundred forty-six million views in thirty. That's crazy. Hours. Yeah, that's crazy. that is one of the best performing movie trailers of all time. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible. People like scary clowns, man. Scary yeah. clowns. Also, like really. There's some great imagery in this trailer. I don't know if it's going to add up to being, you know, a great movie or anything, but what they do with some of these iconic, uh, where some of the images we're used to from it and from the original miniseries, and uh, I'm sure a lot of callbacks to the book too. Uh, it does some really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm really psyched for this movie. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, there are some reveals in the trailer, like you know, there's it, it, like it gives away some scary moments from the movie. You know what's up, though. Yeah, like, if you know what's yeah. up, then you know whatever. But uh, it's it was supposed to be directed by Kerry Fukunaga, the guy who did uh-huh. True Detective season one, and um, uh, what's that other thing that he made that was amazing? Uh, <laughs> so many things. See, he made Sin Nombre, but there was also that Nombre, other thing. No, Beast of No Nation. Beast of No like, Nation. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that guy. Uh, and he uh, had like a two film idea for this. It sounded amazing. Oh, I, I think the two film idea is still happening, but it's just not. Yeah. He's not directing it. It's the guy who directed Mama is uh, is directing yeah. the movie, and so. it looks like it does look amazing. And Mama was very good too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Check that out. Uh, all that yeah. stuff at slashfilm.com. Uh, By the anyway. way, uh, don't check out the original It miniseries because that has not aged well. Really? I tried watching what? that. Come oh, on. man. The miniseries. I think it's terrifying, dude. 
Um, in I'm terms sure of like, uh, yeah, ninety. I mean, it was terrifying. It was terrifying when I watched it as a it kid. It was terrifying. When I assume it has aged sure. incredibly well. So. Uh, Tim Curry is still, you know, scary clown. That thing is so bad. It's I had to turn it off. Oh after wow! Like, 40 like the special um, effects? Is it like nope? Just like act, acting. acting? Oh, Tim Curry, Tim Curry Tim forever, great. baby. Tim Curry is in like 5% of that. Like, <laughs> then you have everyone else, including like uh, John Ritter, who I love John Ritter. I don't know what directions he was getting during that movie, but it is hilarious. So it'll probably make a good drunk watch. But yeah, I, I would not, if you have good memories of the It miniseries, uh, don't rewatch it. It is terrible. All right. That's mm-hmm. a bummer. And on that dour note, <laughs> we're going to end the slash Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.